0: Good morning, everybody. Um, this is quite high. Um, I'd like to talk about mission this morning because it's it's on our heart at the moment as we're getting ready to, to go off to Cambodia on the 19th. And I'll tell you a bit about the trip as we go along. And I'm going to introduce you to to Buna and Soklip as well as we go along. But I wanted to go to scripture first and... And look how the gospel first began to spread. And I'm not going to, I think, share anything earth shaking revelationary with you this morning, but I want to just jog your thoughts and, and maybe challenge you slightly um, by looking at Scripture. If we go to the beginning of the book of Acts, the church is established at Pentecost. There's an amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The disciples run into the street. They begin praising and preaching. A crowd is drawn by, by them. And Peter preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people come in, and the new church is formed. And every indication is that it was good to be in the early church in Jerusalem. It was a comfortable place to be. Um, Let me find some Scripture to back up what I'm saying. Um, In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says this, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer." And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. So it was exciting. There was worship. There was prayer. There were miracles. The services were good to go to. They were exciting. And there was good teaching. The apostles were teaching. So it was a good church with good stuff happening. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another. Everyone had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. They were popular. They were well thought of. They were a, they were a good church. Um, they were a good, respectable church that everybody liked. And it says, And the Lord added daily to their numbers those who were being saved. This was the first step of the church. It was established and it flourished because there was teaching and worship and prayer and fellowship and breaking of bread. And people saw what they were doing. People saw their lifestyle. People saw their love for one another. And they were drawn in. And the church grew by people coming to the church. And the truth is that for quite a while, that was the main way the church grew. It grew by people being attracted by the activities of the church, coming in and being convicted of their need for Jesus and joining the church. There was another major preaching event. There was a miracle, and when Peter spoke after that, a further 2,000 people came in. So you could almost say there were big evangelical outreaches at the church, as it were, and people came in and there was the the day-to-day people joining. But there was no organized mission going outwards. The people in the church hung together and enjoyed what the church offered, and God was adding people to the church. It was all good. But you kind of get the feeling that if something didn't change, the church would have stayed in Jerusalem. It would have been the biggest, happiest gathering of people in Jerusalem, but they weren't going anywhere outside of Jerusalem. It was the church in Jerusalem. And it actually took unpleasant events to get them moving. We read in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, we're following up just after the fact that uh, Stephen has been stoned, the first martyr that we have recorded. Uh, He's been in debate with some of the people opposed to the way of Jesus. Aggression against the church has begun to grow. The the Orthodox Jews have not liked what's happening. They don't like the name of Jesus being preached. Things have got a bit tense. The the leaders are, are stirring things up. And Stephen is stoned to death in front of a large crowd. And it says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church. It was almost like the aggression against the church had been growing and had been growing, and now a trigger happened. When you get a mob, sometimes it just takes one person to throw the first stone and things cut loose. I don't know if you've seen the the writing in London some years ago. People just, they didn't know what they were writing about. They just joined in. And I think all of the suspicion of the unknown and, and this teaching of the way of Jesus and the opposition from the leadership. When, when Stephen is killed, it unleashes something, and a great persecution breaks out in Jerusalem. And it says, And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging off both men and women, and he put them in prison. And then it says this, Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. And when the clou- crowds heard that Philip s- and saw the signs he performed, they paid close attention to what he said, for with shrieks impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed, and so there was great joy in the city. Philip brings the gospel to the city, but it's incidental almost. Philip's reason for leaving Jerusalem was because there was persecution there. And so he goes, but because he is infected with the joy of Christ, wherever he goes, there's an impact, and he sees need, and he begins to respond, and a church grows in Samaria. And so the word began to spread. Um, It spreads across a larger area. It breaks out of the boundaries of Israel itself, of, of the nation of Israel, or Palestine, the provinces it was then. And in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, we read about a church that has been established in a place called Antioch. Now, I've jumped quite a lot in the historical narrative. Um, This church has been established predominantly amongst Gentiles, and when the the, the leadership in Jerusalem hear about this, they decide they're going to send some leadership down to join them, and they send down Barnabas, who we've talked about. He's probably one of my top three heroes in the Bible, Um, and Barnabas goes down, and Barnabas goes to fetch Saul, who subsequently has been converted, and he brings him to the church in Antioch to lead the church. And they have a great time in Antioch. The church grows and flourishes, and they have prophetic words, and they have men of great stature being added to the church. And Saul, who becomes Paul, becomes called Paul later, and, and Barnabas are enjoying the fruit of a successful ministry. It's a bit like it was in Jerusalem in the beginning. They are well thought of. They're being added to daily. Uh, they have a great relationship with the church in Jerusalem. And church is doing well. But in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1, we read about something new happening. It says, Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting the holy spirit said set apart for me barnabas and saul for the work to which i have called them so after they had fasted and prayed they placed their hands on them and they sent them off and to my knowledge this is the first commissioned organized missionary journey that we have recorded in the bible this is not somebody fleeing from persecution this is not somebody incidentally traveling to go and see family and to this is two men are called by God and they're told, your job is to go out and to spread the gospel. And they set out on what you can read about in in the following chapters in, in the book of Acts on this incredible adventure of going into places that are untouched by the gospel and finding a way to tell people about Jesus Christ. They develop their own techniques. With Paul and Barnabas, they tend to go first to the synagogue in that place and try and teach the Jews about Jesus. And what generally happens is some of the Jews in the city will believe and the rest will rebel against them and they'll be chased out and then they'll go to the Gentiles and they will start a group of people and they start little churches. They tell people about Jesus, they establish them, they ground them in teaching and when they have started a little church, they begin to look for somebody in that church that they can put together and covering of the flock, and then when they've got that going, they move on, and they go to a number of places and have amazing adventures, not all of them pleasant for them, but the power of God moves, and as they go, churches are being established, not buildings, not cathedrals, groups of people, Groups of people meeting in various places. Some of them, where the synagogues have been pro-Jesus, they're meeting in the synagogues. Some of them are meeting in people's homes. Some of them are meeting in the squares and wherever they can be. But they establish these churches. And if you care to read through chapters 13, 14, and 15 of Acts, you'll find their journey taking place and them moving along. And they go through, and then they return to Antioch and report back. And then we read in Acts chapter 15 and verse 36, Sometime later... Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. There's a pattern being established by these guys. They go out. They find a way to make contact. They evangelize some people. They begin to bring those people together. They establish teaching and leadership amongst them. They establish something of a church. They move on and they do it again. But then they come back and they nurture those that they have preached the word to. Now, I want to come back in a little while to the impact of that on your life and my life. But first of all, I'm going to introduce you in a minute to, to a friend of mine, but I want to share a testimony that he shared with me one night sitting in absolute pitch darkness in a village in rural Cambodia, and I'd known him for a while, and I said to him, I still don't know how you came to be a Christian. And this is what Bunna told me. As a young man, his parents moved into Phnom Penh and they had a hotel guest house kind of place and he became rather a wild young man and ran with a gang called the Red Dragons. They used to intimidate people for money. They used to go around with weapons and intimidate people in the markets and places in the rural areas to give them money. They weren't nice people. And as part of moving up in the organization, Buna was tasked, he had to go through what we would call an initiation ceremony. He was told that he had to commit an armed robbery with a, with a gun. And so he shared with me that he held a man up at gunpoint for money. Problem was, the man that he held up at gunpoint for money was staying at his parents' hotel. And so he recognized him. And the police started an investigation. Buna's parents tried to stop the police doing that. But what was telling against him was, when the police questioned the gang, the leader of the gang put all the blame on Buna, didn't accept responsibility that they had told him to do this. And so Buna had to flee to the provinces. Was two years you went? For two years. Buna had to leave his home in Phnom Penh, go to the uh, provinces and go and work in the rural areas. And he said to me that while I was there, I decided I would take revenge on the leader of the gang. He calls him the number one brother. And so when Buna came back to Phnom Penh, he sold his moped and he bought a gun. And he waited to meet the number one brother of the gang. Wonderful thing he's... I see such parallels in this young man's life. Before he got to meet the number one brother, he got to meet Jesus. He had a brother that wanted him to go to church, and he fought against it, and eventually I think your mother insisted that you went. And Buna went to church and met God and gave his life to Jesus. I got to know Buna probably about 13 years ago now, I think it is, when he came out as a young man to spend some time, much as they're spending now at, at Stopsley Baptist Church, we're doing some mentoring for him, and he came to our home group for some months. And when he left and went back, he went back with some gifts that were given to him, and they were really given to him for him to enjoy for himself. But we began to get emails. He wasn't using the gifting for himself. He was using it to go out into the villages and to preach. And right now, we're 22 churches? Buna, would you come up? Could you, could you greet my friend? <laughs> Buna, how many churches are, are operating now? And whereabouts
1: are they? Uh, not, in, in our country now, we split. I mean, the province is increasing. It's split into 27. Uh, actually, in the past, only 24. And now we have planted church around 22 provinces. So the problem, we had to go more because the government, they make it for their own officer. And
0: when I said I was going to ask you this, how did you, how did you get the first church going that you planted? What happened? What did you do?
1: First time, uh, uh, normally I just went to visit my friend that I have known somewhere in any province. So I started my, ch- my first, I just went to visit someone that I never known, but uh, it's like a tourist to visit the place. And try to uh, make communication, especially for Cambodian. We when we meet, we just start talking, not just only about our personality. We just talking about family, our children, and how is the life in these communities look like. And then we get to know each other, like uh, invite for for lunch or dinners. And then we start talking about how how could we help each other. And then we get the point step by step. Then. Uh, that person is going to ask you, if you don't mind, we come to the uh, authority, local authority, we talk what we're going to do, rather than like people going to accuse, because we are Christian, they're going to accuse that you are illegal uh, working behind the scene. So mm, let, let all the authority know, even they are not, they were not happy, don't worry. It's about Christ's work us. Just, just go and work, and then the fruit is the evident. So they, they will change their mind and they will accept us.
0: I think that's a really wonderful point that, that when these church communities begin to grow in the villages, their testimony is like the early church, whereas the authorities are often very skeptical about people starting a church or preaching. When they begin to operate, their testimony is so good that they win the authorities over. Buna, you know how many people are there generally in a, in, in a church in a
1: village? Uh, it's not big because we have like a cottage, something like some Some other of, out of house, normally we have 12, 15, and the, the the average 25. But something's happening like this. If you gathering more than 20, it could be some activity that the authority really concern, because you know the country is really strict about uh, pollution, uh, political stuff. So, it's really good for us. We had to split it in like a home group church or house church. So, 12, 15, 15, 12. So, once a time gathering as a like once a month, it's gonna be a big meeting, but somewhere in a conference room or something like not not in the village. Otherwise, the no, story will come to ask you, you have any permission? What are you doing here? You are something against us or you are with us?
0: Um, for those of you who don't know the history of, of, of Cambodia, back in the 70s, the country was ripped apart by a despotic leader called um, Pol Pot. Um, and there's there's a lot of hurt and, and concern amongst the people, and they're very nervous about people starting new movements. So these guys, besides all the other things, the distances and the challenges that they have, they also have to be very, very careful that they walk a, a careful line with the political authorities in terms of the groups that they put together. Buna... Um, how do you how do you get leadership in the churches in in the little churches in the villages? Uh,
1: normally we have to we we have to go and visit them. Uh, not just only keep going. You have to come back as well sometime and then give them some more training. Like invite them come to Phnom Penh at our uh, main church in Phnom Penh because we have. Uh, allowed, you know, we, we receive the authorized uh, letter from the, the, uh, the government that we can hold a church in, in Phnom Penh. So we just invite people from the province who are really have the heart to develop their own community, especially just you know, rather than the, the physical need, they, they can give the answers to the life. So all those kind of people, we invite them to come to Phnom Penh, then we train, we give some material, and then we start, you know, uh, uh, ask all the, all the group prayer for, for who gonna anoint for the leader. We're not like vote, not election. So we pray and then like, uh, you know, the spirit going to say, this man will be the one look after his people.
0: Uh, but you've mentioned that your, your focus is on the spiritual well-being of the people, but I know that you guys are involved in, in looking after the needs of the people in other ways. You've got projects going in which you try and help the communities that you go into. Would you like to share some of the projects like the rice paddies Project and, and, and buffalos and things like that? Yep.
1: So uh, for the young church it's like the baby. They're they like baby, uh, I mean, for uh, their self-sustained. So it's really help that we are mature. So we just give our hand to pull them back, you know, that they have a strong leg to walk. So it's the first step. We, otherwise, don't make the, all, the, all the local church trust you, but let them trust God. Otherwise, you're going to be their God or their Christ. Let them trust God. So we just lift them up by His love, whatever we have, like even two love or five fish, just give to them and then lift them up. Then the Lord will bless them. The like, you know, uh, if they need any Rice, we have rice, we give rice, so sometimes I make a project that got to be long-sustained for them, like a, a rice field, you know, and register, it, it's not belong to anyone, It's belong to the church. No one can sell it, but allow you to buy more, and the ownership is not one, it's a community of the church. So it's going to be passed to the generation, so it's, it's really, you know, they can get it all all time and they can share it to the other area who are need rice. Buffalo, digging well, building house, and whatever that we can help, but make sure that it's not for our glory, it's, it's for, for God, and that we trust the Lord. And one thing I really think about all this project is it's really helpful for them at the first time, and they have to be, you know, bear fruit. That means like Antioch Church. They had to contribute into these development projects.
0: Just a little bit more on some of the things that we've seen. There's, there's a wonderful sense of, of responsibility that operates in these projects. Um, as Bunas mentioned, they, they're trying to make some of the communities self-sufficient by um, raising money to buy them rice paddies, uh, which will be owned by the church so that they can support the people. No one single person who can take that and then sell it to somebody else. But what I love to see is that Already they're inculcating in, in, in the, the young churches that we go and see a responsibility themselves. Although the people are themselves poor, many of them, they don't have much. They, they're poor and they work hard. There is a teaching that they give of what they have to others as well. It's not just a case of we're coming in, we're establishing a church, we're going to give you a lot of money, and you're going to live better than everybody else in the town. It's a case of we're coming in, we're going to help you get going, but we expect that to flow out. Um, and it's wonderful to see some of the projects. Um, one of the villages, we went and saw a house that they built for orphans and widows. Um, they've bought, some of the, the churches meet under houses, and they've uh, built toilet facilities, dug wells, um, lots of projects. And, and I'm going to just walk into a taboo area for sermons and so forth this morning and say, when you go to places like these, you suddenly realize how much good you can do with what for us is a small amount of money. Uh, I'm going to talk a bit later about how this impacts on us as individuals, but um, part of what Buena does is to very carefully work to uplift people using whatever funds come in and are donated in a very effective way, not just to give handouts but to make people proactive and work forward. Um, Buena, just tell us a little bit, when teams like ours come in, what, is, what use is that to you guys? What does that do for you?
1: Yeah, uh, all the team is really helpful because we have a different experience and especially the gift and talent that God has given us is very unique. I cannot copy your your gift or talent and you also cannot copy mine. But all of us come together, then if you come, you like give something new for them, that they more new perspective of vision and dream that challenge them to think deeply about what is God. Uh, for example, they're going to think Christ is the God of the Western, something like that. But if we're just talking in in Cambodia, it's like a frog in the well. But the other people just come and they see God is not that box. God is bigger. And He is really the Lord for all, you know, I mean, every people, not Western or Cambodian. So that is just a point. And really helpful, like this time, we have uh, run uh, school education, something like that, and I really so. I think it's God plan. It's not about my plan, my plan in a way, English, plan. So it's, it's not my plan, it's God plan, God purpose, because God set the team first time, set three, now it's six, it's a big team. And among these teams, not just only the leader, but the teenagers coming. So I, I I just run school education, English education only seven months, and I pray seriously that people can come and maybe the answer for that community too, and then now. Hallelujah, no word to say because said all of them they come, They're very helpful.
0: Thank you, Bernard. Um. We'd like to sit down. We, we'll, we uh, Soglieb, would you like us to come up? I just want to introduce you to this young man. You know, when Paul traveled around, he, he found young people um, who he could almost mentor and, and raise up. And uh, Soglieb is Buna's brother-in-law. Buna's married to a lovely lady called Danny. Her father is a, a wonderful man called Moan, uh, who leads the church. And this is Soglieb, who's Buna's brother-in-law. He's, he's a wonderful guy when we go on trips. He's, he's a wonderful interpreter. Um, if you've ever preached with an interpreter, it's quite difficult um, because you don't know where to stop. You don't know how long to go on before you breathe and give him a chance to translate. And and if you preach with a bit of humor, sometimes it can get lost in translation. And it's really wonderful when Socklep is translating because he gets the nuances and he gets the timing, and it's very easy to preach with him. He's also a lovely musician. He played drums for us this morning, but he's actually a multi-instrumentalist. Keyboard, I think, are his, his, his prime instrument, plays bass, plays anything. Um, and he's got a real interest interesting situation in his life because the secular world of music is calling for him in Cambodia. Some of the, the big bands in the, in, in the country want to use him. At the same time, God's calling him as a worship leader and as someone to minister. Um, and so he's come along to Britain to spend some time with Buna and with church leadership. Uh, and we, we got exciting expectations of where Soklip's going. But I just asked him, Soklip, if you could just show us, what can we pray for in, in Cambodia? Not just in the church and in the ministry that you guys are doing, but what does the nation need prayer for?
2: Uh, yeah, we really need prayer. And especially when when uh, teams come to Cambodia, they do a lot of teachings. But uh, I also, along with the team, i very frustrated when see some our people, sometimes they lost. They, they do speaking but they lost maybe too heavy for them but uh, the thing I really want just to <coughs> our next generation especially the children like I'm very glad like my brother he started uh, education uh, programs in in the islands to build the children they uh, get their mind bigger to see what the world is doing so it it really good to plans the God's Word in the children, because our old generation people, they are too busy with their work. Even they have lots of teaching, but they still lost. Yeah, and uh, they're not really mature in doing. So, it's like when the team comes, they learn everything new every day, but they are not really up in the level. So, really want to focus on the children.
0: I think, you know, you know that when Jesus taught about the seed being, being planted in a good soil, I think a lot of the people, although the churches are preaching and, the, and, and, and teaching is taking place, some of the people get overwhelmed just by m- making a living. And as, as, as Soklip says, it doesn't stick with everybody enough for them to be passing it through to their children. So, prayer for education and for Christianity to come into education and for the people that are involved there. Thanks, Soklip. Bless you. Um, just as we draw to a close i want to pull this into to us as individuals um just to very quickly tell you what's happening those who don't know uh, as a team six of us in our gang we've uh, uh, young jesse Rist is coming with us well now since we last spoke to you so we have uh three young people matthew case jesse Rist, and um kiara Wellen is coming along as well as a, as a young lady and then Anson and helen and myself are going along and the itinerary we're looking at at the moment is we will fly into Phnom Penh on the Thursday morning of the, I think it's the 20th of this month. Uh, we'll have a day just to, or half a day just to settle and, and gather ourselves, have a meal together. And then on the Friday morning, um, I know myself and Matt, I'm not sure if Jesse's going to come with us or stay with him in Phnom Penh. We're heading off to the island that uh, Sokleep spoke about to go down to the school there. And go and share with the people there, and see if we can get involved in some way that is is helpful to the school. Anton, Helen, and Kiara are going to be staying in uh, Phnom Penh, and they're going to be doing some teaching for about 20 pastors that are going to be joining them. Uh, we'll get back on the Saturday evening, and on the Sunday we'll spend time with the church um, that covers this ministry in Phnom Penh, and with friends of Anton, Helen, who are running a ministry for students. And then, are we going Sunday evening or Monday morning to Sverium? Sunday evening. Sunday evening, we'll hit the road, and we'll travel down south to a village called Sverim, which is beautifully in amongst the rice paddies. Um, we park our vehicle at a Buddhist temple. Go on, go any further. That's where the road ends, and we walk between the rice paddies, or sometimes they send mopeds to come and fetch us, and we go on the back along these sort of humped paths between the rice paddies. It's, it's exciting, put it that way, um, Antoine swimming in a rice paddy involuntarily. Um, the back wheel slipped on some mud and, and, and did some breaststroke in a rice paddy. Um, uh, and we'll do some teaching there in the village. They will bring the little churches in from the surrounding villages, people will travel in, and we'll do some teaching there. Then we're coming back to Phnom Penh, and then we're going, I think, to a place called Takeo uh, just for a day, and then we'll fly out on the Friday. But what I wanted to say to you, looking at these scriptures, where are you in terms of going out with the gospel? Is your ministry incidental? You know, Philip did amazing work in Samaria because he happened to be there. And that's tremendously valuable. And if you are, if your ministry is that someone at work bumps into you and asks you about Jesus or you just happen to be in the right place at the right time, that's fantastic. And that's incredibly valuable to the kingdom. And all of us should be doing that, trying to, to be infectious with the gospel wherever we are. But there is a place where we go a step further and where we consciously say, how can I reach people? It doesn't have to be on a mission trip, although I'd love to have everybody in the church come on at least one short-term mission just so that you can see what's going on and support it in your hearts and in your prayer. But maybe your missionary journey is, is two doors down in your street to somebody that you've been thinking about talking to about Jesus for a long time but haven't done it. Or somebody, your missionary journey might be to the office next door to yours to talk to somebody that you know needs to know about Jesus and you haven't done it. And maybe you're a little bit nervous and a little bit embarrassed. And I just remind you that Paul was quite nervous and embarrassed when they were busy beating him and stoning him. And, and maybe you're a bit worried about how people respond and Buna has to worry about the authorities. But maybe you can find a chance to, to step out and consciously Step into the work of the ministry. And then I just would say to you if you, if you, if you have had the joy of being able to share Jesus with somebody and that person has responded, there's the responsibility that Paul and Barnabas recognize to go back and strengthen, to go back and see how they're doing. There's that nurturing and discipling that follows after. You know, we can't all plant 22 churches. We can't all have... A major impact in terms of numbers, but we can we can reach one person. And I, and I often tell the story, forgive me if I've told it before, but I heard it and it really impacted on my life. It was about a group of men who set up an evangelical crusade in, in the Midwest in America many years ago, and they had a tent ministry. You know, one of those, they'd go into town and get people to come out of the tent for an evangelical meeting, and they'd, they'd worked hard on this, and including... Uh, speaking to some, some young men who'd been hanging around on the street corners and inviting them to come to the service in the evening. And what I was told in the story that I heard was after one of the evening services, the preacher from that night was writing in his journal and he was feeling a little bit low because he recorded in his journal that only one person had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that night. And he kind of felt like all of the effort they'd gone to and only one person had come forward and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But he wrote down the name Of the young man who had come to Jesus that night and his name was Billy Graham. Now the older people amongst us will know that Billy Graham has probably preached to more people in the world than anybody else. He's preached to presidents and kings, he's traveled the world, had an incredible testimony of preaching the gospel. That man spoke to Billy Graham. That man was the person who had Billy Graham turn the corner and decide to give his life to Jesus Christ. And the fruit that came from that was enormous. Maybe that person who's that mission journey two offices down from you or two doors down from you or on the other football team, maybe that person has the potential to reach others. Anything we can do is of value. And so I'd like to leave that in your heart as as we, as we come to the end of this time and just encourage you to do what you can. Do what you can. If it's incidental, if you just happen to be rubbing off on people with Jesus, well, that's great. I don't want anybody to to think that we should be pressurized or guilted into evangelism. Um, We just need to realize that we can make a difference. And I have to say, we need to be careful about having earthly heroes. And Buddha is very careful to say that, that they don't want the churches honoring them. They want them honoring God. But I'm honored to work alongside young men like these. I'm honored and I'm challenged. And yet it just started, as he said, by going to see a friend and seeing how it could impact on his life and seeing if you could tell him about Jesus. And it grew from there. And maybe something can grow in your life. I'd like to encourage you with that, and I'd like to leave that with you. Let's pray. Father, I want to say thank you so much that somebody told me about Jesus. I want to thank you for people who, who found the time to to teach and preach the, the glorious good news of Jesus Christ into my life and for my dad who was prepared to have the conversation with me that led to me praying and asking Jesus into my life. Lord, I want to go back and thank you for the people that prayed and spoke to him and for the people stretching back who have reached out and as a result I've been able to know your wonderful salvation. And Lord, I just pray for each of us that we'll become part of that that we will do what we can, when we can, that we will have the courage to step out of our comfort zone, to have the courage to, to overcome our embarrassment, to have the courage to just take that first step. And we trust you, Lord, for what happens after that. I just want to pray this morning and thank you for Buna and for Soklip and for Moan and for all of the folk that, that lead Nexus over in Phnom Penh. I want to pray for the churches in the villages, for their provision, for their well-being, for the wonderful people that lead the village churches, people who work so hard and yet in the evenings have time to pastor. Lord, I want to pray for um, the team as we go over, for your guidance. I pray that there'll be good fruit, good fellowship and good fruit. And I want to thank you, Lord, for this congregation and for the potential that there is here to extend your kingdom. Lord, you're you're a good father. We have good news. We thank you for it, and we ask you for the courage to share it. Thank you for your word, Lord. pray you bless it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.